So a few questions, comments. So the questioner says, I get dizzy when I breathe in and rise. I had the same feeling yesterday. Please advise. Take it slowly. And if you get dizzy, make less movement and uh, stand still. Do the movement much more softly. When energy starts moving around, it can be disorienting. So just stay still, stand still, or even sit down, return to your breathing, let things integrate. Could I explain the difference between calming the mental activity and calming the mind in the third tetrad? Does the first refer to citta and the second to manas? Where does vijnana figure in this? <clears throat> well, actually, the second tetrad talks about pasambayang, citta sankara, calming the citta sankara. The third tetrad talks about gladdening the mind and steadying the mind. Not calming, but steadying. It says affirming up. <clears throat> They're slightly different modalities because with uh, the activity, activity, you need to just soothe it. Activity quiets down. That which has been activated often has particular shapes to it. Often it's a bit you know, rather like imagine a jitter like a lake and it's had lots and lots of rocks thrown into it so it's splashing and churning and there's all kinds of fish jumping around it so it's pretty so now we've kind of begun to remove some there's still a lot of ebbing and flowing so now we're just kind of gladdening and then steadying steadying which is much more a kind of holding steady rather than a soothing. Obviously they're similar similar um, in some respects, but one is more like quiet in activity, one is almost like firming up a subtle form, energy form. Now if we use the image of the lake, I like that because you can recognize that you know the lake is always reflective even if it's churning up, it's still reflective, you know. No matter how much agitation it is, all those ripples still are able to reflect. That reflection we call awareness. Same for the mind is really scattered. There's still some basic knowing is a fundamental property of citta. But when it's all scattered, the knowing is a little bit, can't really formulate anything clear. So when we steady it, the ripples die down, the knowing actually unifies, it becomes very clear and steady, and then you firm up that aspect, which means like not stirring it up, not agitating it, but it's just witnessing and holding it steady. Um, manas refers to that aspect of mind and sometimes almost treat it like a separate mind, as if manas and citta are separate, though this is just the way of talking. But manas is connected to vijnana. 
So then it's called mano vijnana. And the nature of vijnana is it, it takes an object, it kind of runs out. So mind, consciousness, mind, consciousness takes an object. And what it takes an object generally is the data of the other senses or, of course, its own data, thoughts. Now, for example, if you hold your eyes open without focusing on anything in particular, you get this wide screen. But pretty soon, there's some kind of wanting to form something that you see a tree or a car or a person. That quality is called attention. Manasikara. Manasikara, the activity of manas. As the attention crystallizes, then we get a nice crystal clear image of that tree, which is now separate from everything else. So we see separate objects. But actually what we see are not separate objects. We see an unbroken field of shapes and colors. Attention cuts out the person's face, the tree, the car, the lettering. The rest of it disappears. We just focus on that. That's manasikara. And manas is the organ that does that. So it actually creates objects out of an unbroken field. Vijnana is the knowing quality that moves out into the sense fields in order to bring that around. So it's like the mana vijnana moves out into the visual field and creates a tree. Manavinyana moves out into the sound field and creates a bird sound. Hmm? Out of just the silences and different sounds. Oh, there's the sound of the tractor. There's the sound of, oh, it's, that's so-and-so talking. You know? So then that object becomes oh, the main thing. It picks up that object and makes that the main thing. That person's still talking. There's no noise around here. So much noise, because your mind is focused on that sound, and that's the only thing you notice. This is why it's called Mano, is called the Pubag, the leader of all Dhammas. It's the chief, first line of the Dhammapada, because it's the one that creates them in the first place. <laughs> so we go Mano, Mano Vijnana, and the object of Mano Vijnana is called Tamma, phenomena. And actually, what the nature experience is actually is an unbroken field. And the mano picks out objects. This becomes extremely significant when we're actually contemplating the field of the mind, which is also an unbroken field. But what we experience is that person in my head, that thing I've got to do tomorrow, suddenly stands out. What's done that? Manasikara has done that. It's created that. The rest of it disappears and you get obsessed with that particular thought. Yeah. And this is the, when the Manavijnana is blind and just grasping things, this instinct to have something. So the, then we operate that a lot. So we focus on the breath. Object. Object. There it is. <laughs> actually what we're experiencing is whole flow 
like a cloud expanding, flowing, subtle, pervasive. And yet, as soon as you use the word breath, we look for that thing. But the Buddha doesn't teach you to watch the breath. He says, be mindful of breathing. doesn't say watch the breath. Be mindful of breathing. Different kind of attention. Receptive. Receptive. Not necessarily creating objects, but able to just allow breathing to completely enter you. Open. Chitta. Receptive. Thoroughly sensitive. Allowing it to pass through. Not keep figuring it as some object. Hmm? So then that's the what's called the relaxing of the manovinyana and even eventually the ceasing of vinyana. And this is you know, it's not my words. It's what it says. The Buddha says ceasing of consciousness. You think, oh my goodness, what's that? Kind of, kind of, kind of unconscious coma? What's the ceasing of consciousness? Sounds pretty grim. No, it means that your consciousness, instead of grasping this and grasping it, is just not forming an object. Its activity is stopped. Still there's awareness. Hmm? And awareness, this is what we call one way of expressing citta, or property of citta, is just pure knowing. Hmm? which is about not knowing an object, but just being that sense of quiet intelligence. Sensing, 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 calming, steadying. Hmm? Now, why does consciousness do this action? Why does manas continually formulate objects? Because jitta tells it to. It says, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. I'm in this crazy sense world. What's going on? So it says, here's an object. So chitta doesn't actually connect to the sense world by itself. It connects to mano. So they operate like a... Mano is like the secretary or the attendant. And chitta is like the boss sitting somewhere in their little hut. And chitta says... Tell me what's going on. So Mano Vijnana runs out. Okay, hey, there's a lot of animals out here. Oh, animals, right. What does that mean? Fear, oh, or hunger, or desire. Yeah. So it touches and the chitta jumps up. Right, get me an animal, you know. <laughs> so, so you get the craving of the chitta searches for some object to have, or the fear of the chitta. Are there any enemies out there? Tell me, Mano. Are there any enemies out there? Manu looks around, oh, enemy. Or that tree might fall down on you, that's an enemy. Or that cow might attack you, there's an enemy. There might be somebody hiding behind that wall, there's an enemy there, because you've given it the sign to go and look for an enemy. So it creates them. (laughs) So you bring back this, there might be somebody behind the wall waiting to kill you. There might be a tree out there going to fall down on you. (laughs) Maybe there is. And Chitta goes, oh my goodness, that's t- I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
citta gives the instructions depending on its own obsessions and, and distortions and craving, and Mano obligingly comes up with objects to fulfill those. Right? So you've got a craving program in the chitta. It says, okay, Mano, give me something to crave. It's oh, there's some great food out there. There's some fantastic sounds, you know, some lovely plate, you know. So, because that's what we told it to do. So it selects items that seem attractive and it selects an attractive feature. That's manovinyana. It's operating from jitta. But if the jitta loses its passion, loses its craving, manovinyana says, oh, looks like the boss is quiet. I'll take a break. I'll quiet down, go for a holiday. <laughs> That's called ceasing. There's a jitta. I'm fine. Don't need mano right now. Can take a break. So it's the passion. This is why we work on on how does chitta lose its passion? Yeah, this is what insight's about. It begins to recognize every single object the mano has brought to me didn't satisfy me. Every single object the mano brought to me that I thought would make me feel secure and safe, it didn't work. Hmm. Every single idea that Mano gave me that I thought was going to give me true knowledge, it didn't work. I still feel insecure, uncertain and hungry. It didn't work. I bet thing I'd just give up. <laughs> and turn instead towards myself. Jitta then turns back. Look, there's presence. There's knowing. There's awareness. Enjoy. This is gladdening chitta. Gladdening chitta by turning it back to itself, steadying it to stay there, let those habits die down, then liberating chitta from these inclinations that go running out. Calm to calm bodily activities in the first tetrad, one is experiencing searing bodily pains. Um, well, it's good perhaps to uh, find a way to not experiencing searing bodily pain. They move around a bit, massage, exercise, and then if it gets to be just average bodily pain, <laughs> there's a possibility that you. You won't be so gripped by it all. You could then widen your attention to include areas of your body that are not in pain, such as your toes or your ears or your back. And widen your attention. So then jitta, the attention of manas, you know, can bring the jitta into places of non-pain. Chitta's nature is to absorb, soak up. Put it on pain, it soaks up pain. Put it on pleasure, it soaks up pleasure. So we take it away from the painful area and put it somewhere where it's more comfortable. Keep widening and extending. Yeah. And then you begin to, say, get a bit more grounded and then you perhaps include the painful area within the unpainful area. So then you kind of, it's like a, almost like a massage 
So if you've got a tight bit here, just okay. Rather than contract around it, which is quite common, you try to lessen the resistance to pain. There's an often a natural resistance. Don't want it, go away, stop it, just relax. Let the energy move through. Next question, does one work sequentially or together? That is, do you calm bodily formations first and then mental formations second, or do you calm them simultaneously? Um, well, you see, you can't write words on top of another, so one has to come after the other. <laughs> That's the way language is, you, you know. So though if one is calming the mental formation, that will by itself naturally tend to calm bodily formations. But uh, bear in mind that um, what I was referring to is not so much the products of the mental formations, such as irritation or excitement, but the very nature of sensitivity. And again, if you calm your bodily sensitivity, soothe it, the likelihood is your heart sensitivity will also calm and steady. But it can be the case that when your body becomes more calm, you get a little bit happy. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, excited, you know, feel joyful, rapturous, wonderful. I'm so high, and you know, just, just calm. <laughs> so sometimes you have to just sort of body first, and then because the relief from the discomfort of the body and discomfort of the hindrances makes one feel rather happy, the PT can become a little bit exuberant. So then we need to just cool, cool the sensitivity of the heart. If you're stepping back, cooling it, breathing through it. So in some ways that's also sequential. Could you give some examples of accept but not adopt? It's a beautiful approach. I'm afraid the deep wounds like trauma associated with bodily memory, it is not so easy. Indeed. Um, yeah, it's an easy phrase, isn't it? That's why it's memorable, one can remember it. Right? So with trauma, you, know, you want to kind of keep the awareness of the entire form. So acceptance is the non-closing and the non-running away. But at the same time, to not adopt means you, trauma has the power to pull one in. So you actually have to, to not adopt means you've got to have a pretty good anchoring in the healthy bodily energy. So you can intellectually accept the fact that some difficult stuff, but you don't go into it until you've found a firm enough counterbalance which will allow you to not be thrown into that difficult area. And that firm counterbalance is both your body, your whole body, and also Keeping the mind restrained, calm. Not trying to get results, but keeping the mind to the back, keeping the mind out of meddling or trying to change things. So then you don't get involved with it. So it's a subtle and slow process. But with um, trauma, the problem is that the quality of the felt experience is so intense it's difficult to regulate it. 
Whereas most of them, we get a shock, you know, so I'm going to, and then oh, somebody looks at you in the eye, holds your shoulder, and it's regular, everything starts to get regulated by contact. Safe, steady contact, and you come back. And with trauma, you got the shock, but you didn't get the regulation. So you didn't come back. So you need to be able to come back to do the regulation. But of course, coming back means coming back into some fairly intense energy. So you have to have something very strong and steady that can help you to return to a safe place to gently allow a little bit at a time of that experience to unfold, which will probably have some turbulence in it. When hindrances are calmed down, what else is to be found as jitta-sankhara? Or piti is jitta-sankhara. That's a jitta-sankhara. Piti, rapture itself, is a sankhara. It's an energetic formation. Um, so uh, that's not a hindrance, but it also needs to be calmed because it can create imbalance. And sometimes this is the case with meditators. So they come out of some turgid, difficult stuff and get a little bit excited and start to get flashing lights or feel really up in themselves and just, well, no. and just, that's, a, that's a sankara. <laughs> Calm it down. It's not, you're not enlightened. It just means a sankara is happening. You're activated, you know, you're lit up, enthusiastic, just steady, soothing, ease. So it's not bad, it's just it's imbalanced. So when we experience piti sukha, you calm it, steady it, soothe it, so it doesn't keep... You have to regulate, even happiness has to be regulated, you know, naturally. You're like, okay, fine integrate, settle with that, don't get excited about it, or, you know, yeah, that's, that's an example. Mm-hmm. And with this, we're doing that, we're actually beginning to, you know, cool our emotional reactivity, where we get very excited, and then crash, you know, so it's just more equanimous, it's kind of more serene, more dispassionate, it gives the happiness a more thorough and grounded um, foundation. What does vichara mean? Well, it literally means something. Chara is to conduct or move or guide. So it moves around, it's an explorer. Vichara means kind of exploring within. Yeah? Like vipassana means seeing within. Uh, vichara means exploring within, or you could say sensitive to. So that's what this word means, if words mean anything, uh, and if language can be translated. So this is, can be translated sometimes as evaluation. Argentinisero translates as evaluation, which is a little more on the wisdom aspect. Pondering, I've seen it written down as pondering. It's like, hmm, that seems a little bit too thoughtful to me. Um, and I tend to something more like sensing. Mm, how is that? How is that? Mm. Did you get what I mean? Vitaka, point, vichara, feel it. How is this? 
It's lightly exploratory. It moves around over an object rather than pins an object down. I think this is, again, useful to remember because, you know, you can have this instruction to pin your mind onto the breath. And, um, well, mm, I have reservations about that. Mm, You try to pin your mind onto a rhythm. Pin isn't isn't a very good idea, (laughs) in my opinion. (laughs) But... The process is encouraged as a factor of jhana, a necessary factor of jhana, of absorption, is vitaka vichara. So this is directing and sensing. Directing, bringing to mind. So it's that which stimulates mindfulness. Vitaka is a tool that stimulates mindfulness. What's that? Hold on, what's that? That's the holding aspect of mindfulness. Mm, what's that? Vichara stimulates sampajano, clear knowing. How is this? How is this? How is this? So these two working together, there's a gentle fluidity in that, isn't there? They're not holding fixed. They're actually gently sensing and feeling something. And so this is absolutely standard, canonical stuff. First jhana, vitaka vichara, piti sukha, based on viveka, disengagement from sensory phenomena, disengagement from unskillful states of mind. Let go of those. Place your attention, sense your attention on breathing in and out. Enjoy. Jhana, first jhana, samasamadhi. Question about breathing. When I breathe in, it's usually very short. I try to hold it longer, it hurts a bit. makes it harder to expand the pores. Well, you shouldn't try to hold the breath. Um, You know, it's not like that. You don't know what's going on, what that breath is doing, why it's doing it, you don't know. But you shouldn't interfere with it. And so if it's short, let it be short. And... um, how does that feel? Does it feel like it's nervous? Does it feel like it's cramped? Unable to expand? What does it feel like in your throat? Or your chest? See if you just explore. Hmm. Anything I can do? Anything I need to relax in order to allow that breath to be more completed? Don't mess with the breath. Don't mess with the breathing, but look around the structure that it's inhabiting. Is that structure somehow twisted or congested? And could it be that if I, you know, were a little lighter of heart, it might cause things to open up? I don't know. This is your exploration. But keep it light. It's not you've got to get to this gold standard. If you can't get to this gold standard, you're flunked meditation. (laughs) It's, It's irregular, you know. And we don't know why, why the breathing operates the way it does. We didn't decide that. Uh, 
But if you just apply sympathetic attention, listening in, and seeing if there's anything that you're doing that you don't need to do, including trying to get it right, stop doing that, let it be how it is. Same with the out-breath, somebody's asking about halfway down the out-breath it gets bumpy, it kicks me out. <laughs> You've got a feisty breath there, so it kicks you out. <laughs> I have to make an effort to stay with it. <laughs> Should I try and smooth the breath out or observe it? Hey. <laughs> Well, you know, you're really treating like you've got a wild animal there, haven't you? <laughs> How do you relate to that? So, uh, <laughs> you know, you can always just withdraw from breathing in and out. I mean, don't give focus to it. Give focus to the whole structure of the body, uh, kindness of heart. And wait till the body lets you in. So, general advice... Sit at the root of your tree. Keep sitting there. Keep sitting there, enjoying the space. Wait till the breath comes to you. It's a wild animal. If you chase it, it'll run away. If you try and trap it, it'll get nasty. <laughs> yeah. So you sit there and wait for it to come to you. Comes a little bit, just a little bit of inhalation. Thank you. A little bit of exhalation. Thank you. Very nice. Yes, that was a very nice bit of inhalation. Thank you. Nice bit of exhalation. That's enough. Good. And then maybe it'll come a little bit, come again. It'll gradually snuggle down inside you because you've created a safe place. Uh, and that's what I would advise. We don't know how long this will take. But you're learning all the time to adjust your attitudes. So much of this teaching is about how we experience our experience and how we relate to the inner workings of aspects of ourselves. But our ordinary lives are interwoven with others. We are intensely relational. We arise in families, live with others and find partnerships and make our own families is there an application of this meditative understanding in terms of our social existence? <laughs> yeah, well. Um, so if you practice eliminating anxiety, uh, aggression, fearfulness, uh, ignorance in your own mind you become a lot nicer to live with uh, when you've accepted and come to terms with the flashes of passion and fear in your own mind you're a lot more easy to accept the passion and fear of other people's minds you think oh it's another one just like me you know so you become less self you're aware of energies your energy, my energy, same sort of stuff. Once you've begun to handle the energy internally, you can handle it externally. You know? So this creates harmony because you become that which can be the 
quiet, steady presence that allows other people to come into their own balance. That's kind of the baseline of how meditation works. It is intensely relational because you're relating to the life force. The life force here, through this sensory form, personal condition, and then you see it around you. Life force there, personal condition. Okay, how do I meet this? Same practice. So I'm going to stop now. There's a few more, but um, I think that's enough. A little nugget of a teaching. Breathing in and breathing out, because it brings the chitta with it, amplifies everything. So if you rest your attention on something helpful, interesting, valuable that you've heard or practiced, keep your attention on that while you're breathing in and out. While you're breathing in and out, keep your attention on something that you found useful and helpful. And the skillfulness of that topic will infuse your breath and your body. So you actually bring the teachings embodied, right? Linger on a skillful mind state, breathing in, breathing out, and it'll bring the value of that skillful mind state then is not just an idea, it actually saturates your nervous system. Because the jitta and the body are operating on the same energy. <laughs> They're operating the same system. So when the jitta feels bright, breathe it, and then that's going to transfer into your body and begin to work on those parts of your body which are a little bit jittery or closed. You drink it in, you soak it up. This is jhana. This is what jhana is about. It's a natural condition, but it has to be encouraged because we tend to drop, forget things and move on to the next thing. So let's take 15 minutes or so just soaking up anything that's been useful. <laughs> 